0: I don't know what that is. It's, just, it's the, all the forces of darkness coming against you coming to church. But you get here and you worship. You open up your heart to God. You see people around you who are walking this same journey. There is nothing better than this. Nothing better than being part of the community of Christ. And so I want to tell you how grateful I am to see you today. And so we're going to get right to it, and we're going to study the scriptures. So get your Bible, turn on your Bible, open your Bible, whatever it is that you do with your Bible. And uh, and I want you to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 1 Corinthians 15, and then we're going to do another Uh, another scripture I just want you to hold that place and then Revelation 21 1 Corinthians 15 is all the way to the New Testament. Don't be afraid to go to the table of contents if you can't find it. If you're unfamiliar with the scriptures, it's okay. Just look at the table of contents, it'll give you the, the right page to go to. It's about halfway through the New Testament, and then Revelation is the last book, easy to find. All right, so let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your grace in our lives. Thank you that we can be here in the community of saints, of believers those who are seeking after you. And so, Lord, would you just give us revelation, illuminate our hearts and minds, help us to see you in the scriptures, and then help us to see ourselves, and then let us respond with obedience and love. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to ask you a question this morning to begin, and it is this. What are you looking forward to? What are you looking forward to right now? As you look forward to the summer, what are you looking forward to? Are you looking forward to getting out of school? Some of you are, yes, yeah, some, some of the kids in here, like, yes. Some of the moms in here are like, no. The, the, what are you looking forward to? What's, what's coming in your life that you're looking towards? that you're that you're ho- that you're putting sort of some some hope in this is really going to be good maybe vacation little summer vacation my fa- we're going to take our first vacation with an extra person in our family cuz our oldest son got married last year and so uh, <laughs> and so we're going to have eight people which is the perfect number to ride rides so i i want you to think about this question because What you're looking forward to, whatever it is, it indicates you have hope for something. You have hope for something. And and psychologists, they talk about hope as a positive motivational state. When you have hope, you have power to do things. You You have things that you can accomplish. You can make it through anything if you have hope. My wife is a vacation girl. She can get through any season of life as long as there's a vacation at the end of it. And when you break down the the word hope, we really it really breaks down into three different components. Hope is the what, in other words, the goal. You have the goal of what you're trying where you're trying to get to or what you're trying to accomplish or what's coming. And then you have how. That'd be the second how how is it how is hope going to be realized? And then you have the who of hope. It's like what is it Disney World? how are we going to get there? a minivan. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be awesome. Road trips can be good. We just keep telling ourselves that. And the who is who is going to pay for this thing? <laughs> so, when we when we think about this kind of hope, I think we understand that everybody puts their hope in something, but the question that I want you to answer because you're sitting here in this church this morning is, what is Christian hope? What is hope for you as a Christian? What should your hope be focused on? Christian hope, I think simply put, is focused on heaven. Is focused on heaven. That there's a journey of life And we're walking through this life, and that's the how. We're walking through this life wanting heaven, Jesus said, heaven to actually come to earth is what he said. So it's not necessarily a destination or a place, but heaven should be where our hope is. We'll unpack that a little bit as we go along here. And of course, Who is going to help us is Jesus. The critics of Christianity, you know what they say? They say that heaven is just a a big screen that we've all projected our desires and our fantasies on. Just whatever we think is going to be awesome, we project that on to this big screen, and that's what we call heaven. That would be inaccurate, but I think sometimes they're probably right because what's swirling around our culture, what, what is in uh, movies and, and books and, and, and music and literature is all kinds of ideas about heaven. One of the most incredible works of literature uh, over the last few hundred years, Huckleberry Finn by Mark Twain. And I'm going to read a little segment from huck finn and he's he's being lectured to by widow douglas about heaven and hell all right and so uh he's 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 responding to this lecture and we're kind of getting in on it and so here's what he says now she had got a start and she went on and told me all about the good place she said all the body would have to do there was to go around all day long with a harp and sing forever and ever So I didn't think much of it, but I never said so. I asked her if she reckoned Tom Sawyer would go there, and she said, not by a considerable sight. I was glad about that because I wanted him and me to be together. That was interesting. He was willing to go to hell with Tom Sawyer. If Tom Sawyer was going to be there. Because heaven did not seem attractive didn't seem like a place that was too desirable. And if we're going to place blame, we can probably place blame on the people in my line of work, pastors and preachers, that we haven't done quite a good enough job of explaining and helping people understand what this is, what heaven is, what the resurrection is. It's not like it hasn't been there in front of our face the whole time. I mean, for centuries, churches have put cemeteries right in front of, uh, of of their their property there. My wife, every time she goes past a cemetery, she's like, ooh, we should stop there and walk through it. It's like, creepy. <laughs> I don't know what this is. I mean, she's like fascinated with cemeteries. She's just like, every time we go past an old one like this, you know, here, here's all these headstones. She's like, ooh, wouldn't it be awesome to stop right here and just walk through there for a while? I'm like, yeah, Maybe. <laughs> Every, and every, But every time, we have done it a couple of times, and every time I do, it is interesting. You read the headstones, and you read what's on them. But this is, this is a mystery to me. Like like churches with a cemetery, first of all, if you're going to build a church, don't build it on dead people. That seems weird to me. And then, But historically, that's what churches have done. And then secondly, if you're going to have a church, don't make people walk through s- dead people <laughs> to get there. It doesn't seem very seeker-sensitive to me. <laughs> Why, why, why all over the world, why all over the world do are, do churches have cemeteries right in front of them as you're, it's almost like you have to, you have to walk through the alumni association, right? It's like <laughs> of people, of people who have belong to that church. What is that? You know what that is? It's not a statement about the finality of life it's a signpost to hope. It says these are people who've gone before you. You're part of something much greater than yourself. These are people who've been on the journey like you're on the journey, and they've gone to another place. There is is another life that is ahead for you. It's a reminder, it's a signpost for hope. That's why it's been done for all these centuries. And of course, As we're we're studying the creed, the Nicene Creed, over the last many weeks, this is the final phrase of the creed. Just as a reminder, the creed was written in 325 A.D. in the Council of Nicaea. Nicaea was the city that 318 bishops gathered in, early church fathers, who were fighting against new ideas that were opposite, that were not in concert or harmony with what the apostles had taught. They were not writing something new. They were not making it up. They were just carrying on what had been taught. And they were fighting against, as as Christianity continued to grow into new regions and new areas, people started teaching new things that were not not adhering to what the apostles had taught. And so they clarified this creed. If you're going to read the Bible, you can have some interpretation, but on these subjects, there can be no interpretation. This is what we believe. And so, as we look to the last word, the last words in the creed, the last line, I want you to join me and say it with me together. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. It's an awesome phrase. We look for the resurrection of the dead. If you look at those words, look for, we look for, it's a different verb than what we've been using in the creed, isn't it? We've been talking about believing or confessing. We look for is translated to indicate expectation. Expectation, we're looking towards something. There's an anticipation. Do you remember that song? Anticipation is making Do you remember that? I only remember it from the ketchup commercial. Does anybody remember the ketchup commercial? Yeah, we've got some old people in here. It's one or two it's a it's there's an anticipation there's an expectation to something that is coming and we're looking towards it we're looking for it we're looking for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come it's the same word that john the baptist sent his disciples to ask jesus are you the one are you the messiah or should we look for another should we expect another another so there's two elements to this last phrase. One is the bodily resurrection, and the other is the life of the world to come. First, let's talk about the bodily resurrection. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20, it says, "But Christ has indeed," verse 20, "But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man." For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ the first fruits. Everybody say first fruits. first fruits. Then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come, when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father. After he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all things, un- all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. That's a pretty cool idea. So, what is it about the bodily resurrection that the writers of the Creed needed it to be in this line? Well, the first thing I want you to understand is Jesus is the only one who has experienced resurrection. He's the only one who's experienced resurrection. I'm not talking about maybe resurrection, life, and power, which I think is available to us because of Christ by the Spirit. Because the spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a bodily resurrection. No one's ever experienced it. Well, you say, what about Lazarus? Lazarus, he he was raised from the dead. Actually, he was resuscitated. He was resuscitated, and he lived for a while longer after he was dead, and then he died again. Jesus is the only one. He's the first fruits, if you will, of the new age. He's the first fruits of what God is doing in the earth. And so if as we look at it, we have to see that the resurrection that we're looking for is about a body that is being transformed. Now, Jesus' new body that he got after resurrection, it was unique. It still had scars. He still ate. He did <laughs> appear in different places, like... Randomly, I'm not sure that we'll get that same power. I'm not sure that's a God thing or a resurrection thing. Not sure yet. We don't really know. But we know that his body had unique properties from his old body. It had distinctive things that were happening to it. And so his his resurrection body was his body It's just that they recognized him unless they were kept from recognizing him. So we don't know if this was the properties of of a resurrected body or what. But we're going to have a body just like the one we have and it will be resurrected only it will have unique properties and different capacities. Now, I must confess, I've always hoped that my resurrected body would be my 25-year-old body (laughs) and not my 50-year-old body. But... But I don't think it's really going to matter when it happens because there's going to be such a uniqueness to it, a power to it. Look at what 1 Corinthians 15 says, 42 verse, verse 42. I want you to see that just down a few verses. It says, so will it be with the resurrection of the dead? The body that is sown perishable, it is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. This idea of perishable and imperishable, I think a good way to say it and to understand it is the body that was powered by the soul. In other words, the mind, the will, and the emotions is now powered by the Spirit. A different source of its power, its engine. And it's interesting because we talk about the Holy Spirit living in us, which I think the scriptures describe. We'll read that scripture in just a few moments. But the scripture says that he gave the Holy Spirit as a deposit. Everybody say deposit. He gave him as a deposit, guaranteeing something that was coming. Right, So we carry around the Holy Spirit in our body, but nothing like it will be when we receive this resurrected body. There's a deposit. We get a, we get a head start on it as we yield and surrender to him. It's an awesome gift. But our physical, decayed, composed bodies will be supernaturally raised, given these new properties, and receive a glorified body. Resurrection is not an escape from the body. It is a redeemed and glorified body. Redeemed means to make it like it was new again. Redeemed means to make it for its original purpose. Redeemed and glorified body like Jesus. Not the soul kind of slipping away to be with Jesus somehow. Look at what N.T. Wright says. and I'm, I'm just going to pause here and say I want to recommend a book to you on this type of subject. I think it's a mandatory reading for all one-chapelites, one-chaplains, one-chapelonians, one-chapel people. All people who go to one chapel, you should read this book. Surprised by Hope by N.T. Wright. Surprised by Hope. here's what he said he said Jesus' resurrection is the beginning of god's new project not to snatch people away from earth to heaven but to colonize earth with the life of heaven that after all is what the lord's prayer is about what did jesus say in the lord's prayer he said when you pray i want you to say let your kingdom come let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven so Heaven is not just a destination place, it's something that can be brought here and should be brought here and will be brought here by Jesus himself. Why does this matter so much? What's the big deal about bodily resurrection? Here's what what matters so much, because the same God who created is the same God who redeems. (laughs) The same God who created the earth is the same one who's gonna redeem the earth. The same God who created you is going to redeem you for his original purpose. He's gonna make you new. We trust that this God who created the entire world doesn't just leave it to decay. He doesn't just leave it, he is actually the one who is redeeming it, restoring it, and renewing it. This is, this is an important concept because it is the gospel message. You and I live out this message every day. That our goal, our purpose is to help restore the world as Jesus wants it to be. Every broken person, Jesus wants them to be healed. All tyranny, God's desire, is for people to be free of that tyranny. Every place that's broken every every issue that, that lives in our world because of sin, all the marring, scarring of sin in our world, God's desire is that that would be washed away and suddenly made new. This is where we're headed. This is what's going to happen. This is where we can put our hope and our hope will not disappoint us. There is a new heaven and a new earth that is coming. That's what the book of Revelation says. Revelation 21. Let's look at the second big point, the life of the world to come. And when you look at that phrase, the life of the world, world would be translated not cosmos, but eon. Eon as a new age. Translated the new age, the life of the age that is coming. It is a new era. Resurrection, the resurrection of Christ. His bodily resurrection signaled a new era. The kingdom is coming. (laughs) The kingdom is coming, and it's playing out in our world. And there is something that we're going to look forward to because it's coming in its fullness in a day that is to come. Revelation 21, verse 1 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. And they will be his people and god himself will be with them and be their god he will wipe every tear from their eyes there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away and he who was seated on the throne said i am making everything new (laughs) that's what jesus is doing that's what the apostle john saw when he wrote those words I am making everything new. And it doesn't matter what circumstances you're in now. There is hope because he's going to make all things new. He's going to make the life of the world to come. Be this place that is less about leaving here and more about restoring what's here with the redeeming power of Christ. One more quote from N.T. Wright. He says, our culture is so fixated on dying and going to heaven when the whole scripture is about heaven coming to earth. <laughs> it's all about his will being done here. Listen, a broken world that, that was marred by sin at creation. Creation was perfect. It's br- the, the brokenness that we've been living in for thousands of years is going to have a final culmination where Jesus returns and makes everything right. This is what he does. This is his nature. This is his character. This is who we are as his people. It would kind of be like meeting up with a bully. I I don't know if you've ever had an interaction with a bully, but when I was a kid, I I was skinny and scrawny, and I got beat up all the time. I had bullies, and I don't know what it is. I just gave off the vibe or something. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to teach this kid a lesson. I was, I was the smallest kid in my class so often. It was terrible. Do you feel sorry for me? But, hey, I made it. I'm here. And I remember at the bus stop being there and out in the cold with my coat on and some kid pushed me down and was on top of me. <laughs> and there is nothing like the memory that I have of my dad suddenly showing up at that bus stop and pulling that kid off of me and saying, you stop that. It was a pretty cool experience. Yeah. If we were, if we see God, we, uh, this way, it's, it's important to understand how this plays out. If you take the playground and you, you, you take the bully on the playground and you're the parent and your kid has been bullied at school and he's just being beat up and picked on and you go to the school and you go to that playground and you just say to your son or your daughter, you know what, let's just get out of here. Let's just go get ice cream. Just leave all the, these bullies. Let's just go. Come on, let's go. We can forget all about it. If you see heaven that way, if you see God that way, that makes God into a Santa Claus of some sort. Extraction. (laughs) Compensation. (laughs) Ice cream. A more accurate way to describe it would be is you're the parent, and you hear about this bullying. And you go to school, and you get out on that playground, and you spot where the bully is. And you go up to him and say you're not allowed to do this anymore, get out of here. And your son or daughter sitting there like, yeah. (laughs) But not only that, instead of going for ice cream, the parent says, hey, this is a pretty cool place. This is a great playground, let's stay here and play. Let's renovate a little bit, let's remodel, let's have the ice cream brought in. This is gonna be awesome, let's stay here and hang out. That's an accurate picture of how God sees our world. I think the scriptures bear that out. And there's a a way we have to look at this. Why does it matter? What's the big deal you're saying, Pastor Ross? Why Why are you getting so worked up about this? Well, it matters because Christian hope rests on the promise of God. Whatever God has promised. Everything we believe about our hope in Christ is a statement about God. (laughs) Whatever we say about hope is what we're saying about Him, because He is hope. God does not forget His promises. The Old Testament is full of promises and you see him working with his people and they're rejecting him and they go through this whole ordeal where they're just resisting him and then they come back to him and he, he's working with them and, and you see this whole process. He's pointing them every time they go into captivity, every time they're being disciplined. He looks forward. He says, look, I'm not going to abandon you. The Messiah is coming. There is one who's coming. He's going to set everything right. And then Jesus himself comes and he ushers in the new age and that new age has to do with resurrection resurrection. And the life of the world to come. And so, God does not forget his promises. He does not scrap his projects or abandon his people. (laughs) That's why it's so important. Because you have to believe that when you're in trouble. You have to believe that when you've made some mistakes. You have to embrace that when you feel like he's nowhere to be found. You have to rely on this hope. He's not scrapping his projects and he's not abandoning his people. Every joy, every pleasure, everything we experience here in this age will be completed and perfected in the age to come. It's like C.S. Lewis called it the shadow lands. We're in the shadow, it's good, there's wonderful things happening but not quite what it will be. Prosperity preachers got it only half right. They kind of tend to think that, they, they tell you, God is more. He's more. Everything, more of him. He wants more for you. More, more, more. The only thing they get wrong is the other half of the equation. It doesn't always come right now when you want it. That is not to say that you will not have everything you need. I believe that every Christian has all provision from God that they need at any particular moment. I don't care if you're hiding in a cave or if you're a businessman at the top of your game. You have what you need if you'll turn to Jesus. I believe that. The Bible says we have everything we need for life and godliness. But there is reason to think about what is coming and to put our hope there. So much of this life, really, when we start to get this perspective is we're leaning in to what's coming. We're leaning towards what God is doing and the culmination of all things. The second point, I think it's point four on your outline because we had a little snafu on the copying, but because the life to come influences how we live now. The life of the, of to come influences how we live now. Look at 2 Corinthians 5 1 through 10. If you want to turn there, let me just say this yesterday. I led a memorial service for David DiDonato, and some of you know him and Landy, and they—it's it's such a beautiful family, a beautiful man, and and he's—he was an usher here for a while, and he's been in a fight with cancer, and uh, I would sit with him, you know, each week, and and we'd talk and discuss the stories of his life and what he was thinking about, and. And how he was wrestling, and and we were praying for him to be healed. We 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 don't understand why he was not healed. We won't know that till we get our resurrected body and the life of the world to come. But but we talked about these things, and 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 he, and and he was worried at one point about I, Have I done enough with my life? He was only sixty years old. And we talked through some of that, and it was meaningful to him because he could see that there was a another life he was going to enter into, and it gave him hope. A smile would come on his face as we talked about. It was so incredible. Well, yesterday, this place was full of people, almost 400 people, 400 people coming to his memorial service as a testimony about what kind of life he lived. They saw Jesus in him. He was a stylist, a hair haircut guy in, in dripping and had been, worked in Austin for many years and he had friends everywhere. You'd sit in his chair first week, first month, second month, third month. It wasn't going to be long before you heard about his family, before you heard about his life as you talked and, and before you heard about Jesus himself. He was an advocate for Compassion International. He, he loved to take care of people. It was his thing. He, he, the way he lived now Was informed by what he was thinking about that was coming in the next life. And so it informs us. Look at what the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5 1 through 10. It says, For we know that this earth, if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God. An eternal house in heaven not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan and longing to be clothed instead, of, instead with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead of with our heavenly dwelling. So that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. If you're reading your Bible, you should underline that. You want to write it in your notes so you remember it. So that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. And that can that's happening even now in our lives. Our mortality is coming. Gravity is having its way. <laughs> But life is coming to us. We're leaning towards that life of the world to come. Verse 5 says, now, one, the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us the spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. There it is. Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we live by faith, not by sight we are confident i say and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the lord so we make it our goal to what to please him we make it our goal to please him whether we are at home in the body or away from it, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Listen to me. We are not human beings having a spiritual experience. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. This is what Christianity is. It is hope. It is purpose. The psalmist said it. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death in Psalm 23. What was he talking about? Oh, I come near death. Even death when it comes near me. There's some, it's a valley. It's a shadow of death. First Thessalonians 4, the apostle Paul says, I don't want you to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We don't have to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. Yesterday, as we were filled in this auditorium with people who were grieving, crying, crying, weeping over the loss of David, there was in every conversation a lining of hope, an, an undercurrent of peace. There was something in, inside of each conversation and each dialogue that was, that was signaling there's something more that we live our lives for. It's not just, everything's not just here. And everything in life begins to revolve around this Eternal perspective. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, 9. It says, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. If it's just for this life, what is is that? You need to lift your eyes higher. You need to think larger. You need to receive what the Holy Spirit wants to give you because there's something so much greater that he's partnering with with you He wants to partner with you and me to restore everything on this planet to make all things new. And when you do that, you start thinking differently about heaven. Matthew 6 says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust don't destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is... There, your heart will be also. People misquote this all the time. Wherever your heart is, that's where your treasure is going to be. Actually, that's not what it says. It says whatever you treasure most, that's what your heart gravitates to. You treasure your career most, your heart's going to gravitate to your career. You gra- you you treasure even even something good like your kids most out of everything. You're going to end up. You're going to end up smothering them. You treat them. That you 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 you'll, you'll consume yourself with their lives. It's not what God had designed or planned. He wants to be the treasure. His hope in you, you want that for your kids, make him the treasure and let your kids see it. That will influence them more than anything else, more than all the stuff you could give them. There's something so powerful about changing our perspective, mortality. What is our treasure? The treasure, the way we deal with treasure here is gonna determine our treasure there. That's what Jesus says. Stop being consumed by all the stuff, by all the the dynamics of your own soul. And remember, remember that there is hope that has come to you and me. There is hope. Deciding what we treasure determines how we experience the life of the world to come. Listen, and here's why. Because resurrection changed everything. The age we're living in, everything is different and everything is moving towards that final day. Close your eyes, bow your heads. I want you to think about this for a moment. And the question I want you to answer is what have you been hoping in? What have you been putting your hope in? Well, pastor, I just wanna get rid of this certain thing. I wanna get rid of some, that's what I've, I I wanna become free of the stuff Listen, you've heard me say it before, some of you, that freedom is not the absence of something, but the presence of someone. (laughs) It is God being invited into your soul, into your life, into your heart, into your circumstances. And just while you're there, with your eyes closed, just, just, I want you to concentrate. Listen to the voice of the Spirit. What have you put your hope in? Where is your hope anchored? I want to challenge you to anchor it in Christ, who wants to give you everything he has, wants to redeem and restore your life in every way, wants to make all things new, and is making all things new. So we're going to come to the table. The band's going to lead us, and I want you to come to this table of the Lord where the bread and the cup, the bread representing the body of Christ, the brokenness of his body, his, his grace for you and for me, the cup representing the blood for forgiveness of sins, the forgiveness that comes when we've failed and we've fallen short and we've mistreated people and we, we've gotten consumed with ourselves and we've gotten focused just on our thing and we've lost hope. If Listen, if you've lost hope today, come to the table and, and feed on the provision of Jesus himself to restore your hope, to bring hope to you again. Put your hope in him, he's the who, the one, Let your life be lived out with hope. We practice what's called open communion at One Chapel. It simply means if you want to serve him, you want to make things right with him, we want you to come and participate with us. If you're uncomfortable for any reason, please don't feel pressured. Just walk through the line so that no one has to step over you, okay? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the, the table that you invite us to for communion. Lord, those of us who are suffering, would you come and just touch us right where we are in that suffering? Lord, those of us who've been distracted and and have gone a a different direction and we've gotten our eyes off of you, you, would you call us to yourself? Would you forgive us? Would you heal us? Would you strengthen us in the journey that we're on today? We thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen.